This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. While we're looking at uh, this series, and we went through a lengthy portion last week in this unlocking biblical truths about true spirituality, and at the moment we are looking at uh, freedom now from the results of the bonds of sin, and we've talked about how in Christ Jesus, genuine guilt, all true guilt, and we do have true guilt for our sins, is dealt with in Christ Jesus. But the effects of sin upon us psychologically, emotionally, uh, even physically, linger in our lives. And so even though positionally in Christ Jesus our sin is dealt with and we are washed clean and before God's seen, uh, in the beloved as his children washed clean and uh, and uh, in a, that spiritual state of childhood before God uh, seated in heavenly places etc etc still we interact in this realm here in the world uh, with you know our many uh, foibles personality defects uh, tendencies that have been learned over many years. Now, I feel like I'm just talking to a blank wall in this because none of you have those issues. It's just me uh, that has those things. But the reality is, isn't it, that each day we engage with people in different circumstances and every now and then we get a glimpse of ourselves and we go, oh, that wasn't very nice. That wasn't very Christian. And these are these impacts and effects of the life we led before Christ. So salvation brings this true inner freedom. Sin caused bondage in our lives and through salvation that sin is broken, that bondage is broken, but the effects can still linger on. And so we are talking about freedom now from the results of the bonds of sin. And if you've been in ministry or if you have been involved in counselling through other ministries and things like that, you know that people are damaged, you know, and that there are people who have had genuine salvation experiences, but the damage that's been caused in their lives before Christ often lingers on for many years to come. And... and Many times it is simply a miracle of God that transforms that person out of that way of thinking and behaving so that they can go on to live a life of wholeness and, and, uh, and fulfilling God's purpose in their lives. We read through Romans uh, chapter 1, 18 to 24, and we did a breakdown of that last week. Chris read that. So let's just read through Romans 1. Uh, 18 and onwards. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. The connection to this futility in their thoughts and their foolish hearts being darkened 
is connected back to this deliberate suppression in verse 18 that they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. So this is not people who God just randomly blinded for no reason, but this is people who knew truth and they suppressed that truth. And the word suppressed here means to hold down and back. That's, that's the meaning of the word, that they held it down and back. And so the idea of that is that they withheld the truth from other hearers. So these are people who, knowing things about God, withheld that knowledge. And then uh, as a result of that, because of revelation that they had, God then blinded them to truth and their thinking became futile. And if you read any of the mystical rabbinic teachings that came out uh, uh, prior to the, the time of Christ that many of the rabbis uh, follow today, it is complete insanity. Uh, it is, it, there is so much insanity and blindness in that teaching. Uh, and, and this is what the Lord is revealing here, that they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. So see this connection here. This is all to do with this mind-heart thing. And if you, if you want to understand what we talked about with the heart being this attribute of, of thinking, as the Bible speaks about, it's not this emotional thing that we talk about today in movies uh, and you know in, in novels and all this kind of stuff. Biblically, the heart is this realm of processing information and, and decision-making and all these kinds of things. It's the, it's the intellectual processing of stuff. So the heart and the mind are interchangeable with the difference being that when the Bible speaks of the mind, it is often talking about simply that reasoning process that, that people go through. So, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. So they put creation over the Creator. Uh, verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. This is still all connected back to this suppression of truth. And now they have, out of that suppression of truth, deified the creation above the creator. And now God is giving them up to worse sin. So there is a process at work here, and this is what we have to understand about this. This process is the internal results in the external, right? For even their women exchanged the natural use. So because of these lies they gave themselves, now women were involved in immoral sexual relationships. Verse 27, likewise the men. Why? Because of this wrong thinking, they stepped into wrong relationships, leaving the natural use of the woman, burn in their lust, one for another, men with men, etc., uh, etc. Et and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Same process over and over and over and over. The further they delved into this sinful, wrongful thinking, the further God gave them over to this, this uh, decrepit way of thinking and their minds became darker and darker and darker in the process of it 
and as a consequence, sin became deeper and deeper. So a really quick recap that we learn from Romans 1, the established order, God is not hidden from his creation, verses 18 to 20. They knew God, so they were without excuse. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him. And the immediate impact of that knowledge is, where does it occur? It occurs in the mind. Nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. It's super important for us to understand this. In their thoughts, their hearts became foolish and darkened. They professed their own wisdom. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And uh, verses 24 and 25, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. This is the result. This is what happens. This is the result that, that these actions come out of that. Then uh, they deified the creation above the creator. So the established order of Romans 1 is that ideas in the thought life are followed by outward results. The external follows the internal. The external is a product of the internal, is another way of saying that. So, um, you, you know, you, you can read True Histories of Crime, for example. I'm not saying that's a book name or anything. I, I don't, I'm talking about actually reading, you know, true accounts of, of criminal actions, and you will always be able to trace it back whenever there's any honesty involved to seeds in a person's heart that led to the criminal activity. And, uh, and so... You know, the same is with us. So, you know, while we wag and point our finger at at such decrepit criminal people, you and I have the same capacities. So, thoughts are first. They produce the external. We're good with that? All right. This is why Romans 12, 1 and 2 compels us not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Romans, Paul has a real issue with this grey matter. He has a real issue with that. And he teaches this over and over as we saw last week. This is a vital thing. Wrong thinking leads to wrong behaviour, wrong actions. In order for you and I to get out of that, it's, it's a real uh, a deliberate process for us to renew the, the mind with the Word of God. He talked about that with us in Ephesians 4, 17 uh, to 19, and then Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. I've got a number of verses here. Uh, we see the same pattern Um, We saw that the truth is in Jesus and we're to be renewed in our minds. Then chapter 5, verses 15 to 21, we're told to walk carefully, not as fools, to walk circumspectly, the King James says, uh, with wisdom. And don't be unwise, but understand the the will of God. So all this focus on the mind affecting the way we walk. Okay? 
Um, and then Matthew 12, we looked at the words of Jesus that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he was so focused there on showing people that it's not about the external things. And, and um, you know, there are occasions where he was asked, why do your uh, disciples not wash their hands? And all the time his focus was on teaching this important issue of the heart, that the heart is the issue between us and God. And then we also looked at Matthew 15. Uh, Jesus deals with legalism and, and he shows it's an externalized uh, thing by which people parade their righteousness um, and that uh, it cannot change the heart. Uh, we looked at Matthew 5, we looked at 1 John, and we learned in relation to morality, in relation to morals, the inner thoughts are the thing. The inner thoughts are the thing. I have, um, my wife and I have, have uh, told many young women to be careful with young men because you have no idea the internal battles that young men go through and that you do not want to trigger more of those internal battles in the way that you interact and engage with young men. You don't want to put yourself in a position where you can be compromised because you don't know the depth of internal battle that that person may be facing. And one indication that they are overcoming in these kinds of areas is that they're making themselves accountable to people around them because they're aware of the battle that they face. So We've taken three steps. The internal is first. The internal causes the external. And morally, the internal is central. This is why legalism is such a devastating thing. Because legalism always produces people who are focused on the external. It, it always results in producing that. Whether it's types of haircuts... You know, I'm serious. Um, you know, Simon and I know a little about that coming out of a, the organisation that we were in where there was uh, a real focus on, on types of haircuts and no facial hair. Sorry, Rory. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know no facial hair. Because, and, and because I, it, it's insane, but as we dug down a little bit to find out why the particular organisation taught, taught about no facial hair, it was all to do with Hollywood. That uh, uh, philosophy in Hollywood movies that had the criminals with beards. So that is insane. That, that's crazy thinking. But it's so focused on the external that people will live and behave certain ways... Uh, in order to find approval. So thoughts are first and they produce your uh, external. That's the order. Now, let's move on. That's where we left off last week. Genesis 3 verse 6 reveals to us that sin begins internally. How do we know that? Genesis 3 verse 6 says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, 
she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband. So, we're saying that the internal comes first, then the external. Sin is first internal where moral things are concerned. But it has an external result. She saw the fruit and desired it. Now, there's a, an interesting word, and I, I should have had it in here, the Chinese character for desire, which is a combination of two characters, and the, the top part is a woman, and the bottom part is two trees. Two trees means a, a, a forested, a, a wooded area, you know, and um, in the Chinese characters. And so the top part is a woman among two trees. And so the interesting thing when you talk to today's young Chinese people in China, and we lived there for six years, so we have some idea, that when you ask them why does a woman and two trees mean desire, they've been given this worldly and Confucian type of thinking, which is that a woman in nature is a desirable thing. <laughs> and and that I've had that said to me you know many times by educated people. And uh, you know, if you did not have any biblical account to compare that with, you might think that's a reasonable thing, especially if you're a nature lover, you know? But when you see that this word is over 4,000 years old in the Chinese written language. It's, it's over 4,000 years old. And that along with over 100 other characters in Chinese, the complete history of Genesis is recorded in Chinese characters. When you see that and you understand that, for example, uh, we know the serpent came and tempted Eve. The word serpent... Um, is one rendering of the word and it's only rendered that way because people have inserted vowels into the the word which has an absence of vowels and so they've inserted these in because of its its sound to make, because it appears to be serpent but if you put it into a uh, a noun uh, into another form with using different vowels, it actually means tempter. And when you read that in the story, the tempter came to her, you know, it makes sense. But then because he goes on and says that, you know, he'd be confined to crawling on his belly and uh, these kinds of things. And so they come back to saying a serpent and then you have people mocking you with a, with a talking snake scenario. So the word... Tempter is, is an amazing Chinese word because it has a man who comes under the cover of trees in a garden and whispers secret things, it, all within one character. right? And the word for desire, and this is a wrongful desire, is a woman and two trees. And there were two trees in the garden, tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they were forbidden, forbidden from eating from that tree. Now, I'm not handing that to you as um, hard and fast theology in terms of the, you know, the Chinese um, history, but it's an unbelievable coincidence if it is. So, the fall, the fall of man, 
runs from the internal to the external. And this is a powerful thing. We, we find a very startling thing in Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. And I have this listed as the sin of Lucifer. Um, the word means morning star. Uh, and so there is a whole issue here with the council of uh, the heavenly uh, angelic beings, uh, possibly in Isaiah, uh, in Psalm 89, you could do some comparison against that. But in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And we talked about that at Friday night's Bible study, the stars of God. And we, we saw that in almost all occasions where stars are mentioned, that it is talking of angelic beings. And so here is one created being who's saying he's going to ascend above the others and possibly even above God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. In the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So this is arrogance and hubris. Where is this taking place? Well, you know, I'm not talking about in geography. I'm talking where is this sin taking place? In the heart. This is a created being who sees himself as above others. And so there is a sin taking place internally. Thou hast said in thine heart. The scripture identifies it very, very clearly. You have said to yourself, I am going to ascend and I will be like God. Let's come back to Adam and Eve for a moment. For in the fall, what do we find? We find Adam and Eve operating as units of personality. Another word would be individuals. Their thoughts, their wills, their emotions are all involved in this scenario. They're they're not just a collection of parts. They're not automatons uh, functioning in the garden They are individuals with individual personality created in the image of God. They have ability to reason and desire. So in considering the fall, Satan leads Eve into temptation, but she in turn gives the fruit to Adam. But with regard to the theology of the fall, Adam and Eve's choice to sin was without prior Conditioning. Unlike your choices to sin, and there is much conditioning in our lives. Maybe, possibly, we could argue generations. We see two individuals make a choice for first sin in this place. And so, you know, um, you know, um, you know, this is a true first cause here. Now, so here are individuals who formed thought and made choice. Okay? Think, let that, let that sink in. 
because this is this then comes with a result and that result has affected mankind throughout all history since and that result is evil it is sin that has come into the world and now today we see that evil just building and building and we're not the only generation to have this kind of evil you know the rise of pedophilia the the, the sex slave trade the human slave trade 30 million people a year are being traded in the world at the moment in slavery 30 million this is insane children working in brick uh, factories in India and dying in their early 20s and 30s from uh, the toxicity caused in their lungs from the brick dust. And they're, they're taken into this life of servitude and that's all they'll do, work long days until they're dropping at the end of the day. That, that evil hasn't come from nowhere. It has come from people's choices. Now, God being infinite, knows not only all that shall be, all that could be, he has made man and angels in his image with this faculty of being able to reason, being able to think, being able to choose, being able to decide things. We are moral and rational creatures. Some might put the focus on immoral and irrational. Nevertheless, immorality is a form of morality. Irrationality is a form of rationality. It's it's just a, a degree on the spectrum. That's all it is. So he's made us in his image that, that God is rational, he is thoughtful, he is loving. So we can love, we can know and experience and give love one to another. And here at the fall, we have these two people who made a true choice in the world of thought. And they sinned. And sin came in among mankind as a result. Evil, that vast sea of tears in the world, so many broken lives, so much destitution, so much criminality, so much hatred even in our own lives, so many wicked thoughts that have come out of this true first cause. They have brought forth this into the external world. So here's our next point from the inside outward Adam and Eve truly made sin. From the heart came the external, the sin. I see a couple of people taking notes, so I'll just let you grab that. From the inside outward, Adam and Eve truly made sin. It's not a case that the devil made me do it. So we've taken four steps. The internal is first. The internal causes the external. The in, morally, the internal is central. Sin is formed from the internal to the external, from the heart to the action. 
from the thoughts to the result. Thoughts are first. They produce the external. All right? Let's keep going. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Actually, I'll just go back here. Because Christianity is distinct from other religions in this way, that God is personal. And sometimes we can, we can forget that. We can get into teaching and talking about theology and these kinds of things and we can go, oh, yeah, it's amazing and all that sort of stuff. And we forget about God and, and how personal he is. And when we sit down and think for a moment, we think about when we got saved or we think about other times of extreme hardship in our lives where we were just so broken and calling out upon God. And in those times, in his tenderness and his love, he reached into our lives and he comforted us. We know that in those times, God, this this personal God, and I don't mean your personal God, I mean God with personality. He has characteristics of personhood, that he has engaged with you to comfort you in your time of distress, which is the promise of Scripture. And so, we see that Hebrews 11, verse 6, gives us this lesson that without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Religions that make everything only a thought world are wrong. This is why Eastern religions are so wrong. They, you know, they focus on the um, uh, universal everything. Uh, that as you develop spiritually, you become more at one with the universe, and that eventually you can reach a state of nirvana, in which you're going to be absorbed into the universe and cease to exist as you, and you will become at one with the universe, whatever that means. You know, no one can explain that because they, they don't know what that means. The universe is not God. The universe is created by God. And see, they use words like you become at one with the universe because it's so large we can't comprehend it. You know, and what, what does that mean? There is a real external existence outside of God. So God is not the universe. The universe was created by God. And you and I were created by God. This world was put in place by God. It's because of him. It is not him. That's what universalism teaches, that that God and creation are one. He spoke it into existence. Colossians 1, verse 17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things exist. The meaning of this is that the creation exists because of the power of God. The word consist here means to be hung together or constituted, that all the parts of the universe are brought together by the framing of God. He's formed it and fashioned it into being, into existence. But there's more to this. Let's consider this world as it is, 
and consider God as he is, even within the Trinity, we would say that thought came before action. Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image. If you want to look up some confusion, you can look up the rabbinical teachings of this. Um, I wouldn't encourage you to do it, but, you know, there's confusion. They can't explain this, why there would be a plural, why even the name of God, Elohim, ends with a plural ending. The im on the end is plural, literally meaning gods. And it doesn't mean that there is a plurality of gods, because here, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. Right? There is one God, but the word one there doesn't mean a simple one. It means a composite that forms one. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps onto the earth. We're swept into this concept of the Trinity, the, the plurality of the Godhead here. And But here is thought, because here we see God as personal. Let us make man in our image. And man will have purpose in this creation. There is purpose. And, you know, one of the the great dilemmas facing the 21st century youth is that they're living lives, suicide rates are increasing all the time. And and, uh, sadly, white uh, boys in America, Australia, in the UK, who are growing up in fatherless homes are very, very prone to suicide, amongst the highest group of suicides uh, growing up in fatherless homes. And one of the main contributing reasons is that they have not been given a sense of purpose in life. And this is one of the big philosophical questions, which is, why am I here? What am I here for? What is the purpose in life? And here God puts man uh, into the earth and he has dominion over the earth that is part of his purpose. And in the evening, God would come and walk with man and there was fellowship and communion between the creature and the creator. This was part of man's purpose in the world, to know God and to make him known in the world. And so we, we have to hold these things that, uh, that teach us so much about God and about man and his purpose. On the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Rome, there's these tremendous frescoes uh, by Michelangelo. And I haven't been there, but I, I would love to go there as much as I am really strongly an anti-Roman Catholic. Um, uh, you know, only because of its heretical teachings leading people to hell. Um, that's a pretty good reason. It's enough. It's enough. So. There's a little church on the way down to Lake Central. Oh, really? I've got to find it and go there. I can, I can take a close-up photo and say I was in... Uh, you find the name of the town? It's in the Sistine Chapel recently. Well yeah, yeah. All, all in half scale. Yep, I'd love to see that. Now, you can see you can see a really important thing in this, and we'll zoom in 
a little, gets a bit grainy, but we can zoom in. You can see God reaching out, Adam reaching back, but their fingers do not touch. And there, there is truly Christian insight into this, that man is not an extension of God. Man is the creation of God. And so we are not, as, as word of faith teaching says, little gods. And as Mormons will teach, we're not people uh, that like Jesus once was, that like we are Jesus once was, and like he is now, we one day will be. That, In other words, we now are frail and broken humans, but will become gods. That's, that's heresy. So, but there's true Christian insight here, is that man is the creation of God, and that, that God has created us and he's put us in a place where we can reach toward him and look at the response by God reaching toward man. There's, there's some wonderful revelation in this. Um, you know, some have said that this is God commanding man into, the create, uh, into being created. Um, uh, not exactly correct because God formed man out of the dust of the earth. But you see another person under his arm, and I forgot to get my little pointer out over there. And so uh, most people think that this is a representation of Eve and that Michelangelo has painted her in a form there, and but she's there in the mind of God to be brought into the world. Now, to be wrong to conclude that Eve was just as real in the mind of God, in, in that sense, as uh, when she was created. The, but the painting is representing this concept of God and his creation, this engagement between man and God, this separation between man and God, that man is different. The creation is different to the creator. But, but we are made by the creator, and in the creator's care for man... He conceived the idea of Eve that he then brought forth into the world. And so we have to um, take then another point out of this because it teaches us something about ourselves. And that is that that which is being created in the, the um, scientific theological term is ex nihilo, out of nothing has objective, external reality and reveals the intelligence, character and personality of God. And I I would urge you to... I I love getting out in the countryside and and getting into a bit of a walk and, and seeing those things of the countryside and stopping and looking at them. It could be something as simple as a piece of wood and you see the shape and the texture and the, the grain in that piece of wood. You come across a tree that's fallen down and been split open by a bolt of lightning and, and, uh, or, or a storm has, has torn it in half and you see the incredible complexity of that grain in, in the timber. This all reflects the intelligence the creativity, the character of God. Even in the fallen state in which we're in, 
you and I can look into creation and we can marvel at the wonders of God. And we should do that. It's good for you to do that. It's good to get out of the city where you can be away from the smog and in the night time look up at the stars, you know, and just see the expanse of the heavens and, and worship God in that place. I can tell you there's, there's nothing better, and Adrian would probably agree, or maybe not nothing better, but it's a beautiful thing to be out there in the countryside under the stars and just to, to worship God and thank him for that wonderful testimony of himself in the creation. It's, it is amazing. Now, there has been a fall which has marred the creation, but Paul reminds us that uh, in Romans 1 that man is condemned against the backdrop of that creation. Right? Romans 1, 20-23, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Go out there. Daylight saving's over. You, you can get back still early. You can actually get out there in the dark. And go out, drive out the country road, and just enjoy it. Look up and enjoy his creation. Go for a walk. Pick up some leaves and look at the complexity within those things. Look at your hand and, and check out the, the handprints, the way those muscles all move. And thank God for it. Worship him for that creation. You're not worshipping the creation. You're worshipping the creator. Thank him for that. Be marveled by it. And enjoy it. Because it puts you in right perspective as opposed to the people who Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, who could see and understand that the eternal power and Godhead was revealed through his creation, but they're without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him, nor were thankful, became futile in their, uh, in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. What is this called when we look at creation? What, what do we call the creation in that sense, theologically? It's called a general revelation, right? That's what it's called. In other words, you can look at the creation and you can, you have to come up with a choice as you look at the creation. You have to say, this is, this is random chance, or this is deliberate design. It's one or the other. And if you, you know, you watch David Attenborough, you know, you keep hearing millions of years and billions of years and all these kinds of things. And if you um, uh, look at the creation, you keep thinking, God is awesome, you know. And, uh, and so you don't have to do much looking to realize that there are many, many inconsistencies within the evolutionary theory. Now, this is known as general revelation. But when you look at a tree or a plant or a beautiful flower, you look at a, a passion fruit flower. I'm just picking something out of my mind. It's such a beautiful flower. The colours are amazing. The shape's amazing. When you look at that, it does not tell you Jesus died on the cross. It's a general revelation. It doesn't tell you about man's sin. 
accept that in a, its lifespan is short and it's going to die and you know but that comes because of special revelation so which I've just given away so the the creation is termed technically or theologically as general revelation the internal nature of man and the external universe reveal the existence of God in a general sense this question why am I here is there a God where did this come from these are questions that we should be asking ourselves and I tell you this generation head in their phone constant input of information all the time is a an intervention against thinking it's in, and this is one of the big things to get young people to think if you listen to Jad's testimony one of the things that we did uh, in trying to bring him to a place of hearing and understanding uh, the gospel was just to trigger questions and get him thinking about the deeper philosophical questions in his life and, uh, and he hasn't stopped since um, but it was powerful because it got him thinking about those life questions you know and, uh, and so we bring people into confrontation with that. So the Bible itself is special revelation or specific revelation. The Bible tells us things. When we say, wow, look at this creation. How did it get here? The Bible says, in the beginning, God spoke this world into existence. So that is special revelation. When we look around at the world and we see all the sin and the wretchedness, the Bible says to us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we ask, what's the solution to all of this sin? Do we have a a social program? The Bible says repentance is the solution. The gospel message, preaching and revealing to man his specific sin so that he would be brokenhearted to call upon Jesus That is a special or specific revelation to people. Does that make sense? So we need the Bible for the message of salvation. We need it for a specific revelation that it gives key to interpreting the creation. Because you can go with evolutionary theory. You can get doctorates in it. And you can go down various different channels of that in competing theories, you know, punctuated equilibrium, that that um, things stayed stagnant for a while and then all of a sudden there's a boom in the evolutionary order and things progress along really quickly to the next stage and then it stays like that for thousands, hundreds of thousands of millions of years and then there's some uh, pressure from within the earth and suddenly, boom, there's, a, there's an expansion in the evolutionary order again. There's no physical evidence of that, but it's a theory that they have because they believe that this progression needed to happen. And so, you know, when you start... um, Yeah, anyway, let's not get too distracted. So, general revelation and special revelation constitute a unified whole. They come together as a unified whole. and, And this is important for us. Now let's move back to man because this parallels with what the Bible says. Putting these elements together, God thinks and he brings forth into the external world 
he created out of nothing. Out of the thoughts of God came the external world. Okay? Now, God thought it, he spoke it, it was done. From the internal to the external. Okay? We think and we bring forth into the external world, but there's a difference. We'll come to that in a moment. God's creation, though, it reveals to us things about his intelligence and his design, but it's not an extension of his essence. In other words, when you dig a hole in the ground, you're not digging into God. You know, you plant a tree or you cut down a tree, you're not cutting down God as Eastern mystical teachings teach, you know. If a, a cow walks in front of your car and you run into it and it's killed, you haven't damaged a god or killed a god, you know. But Christianity does not teach that the creation is an extension of God's essence. Now, equally, man's acts in the external world are not an extension of his essence. But they do exhibit exactly who we are. The act itself is an exhibition of who we are. Now, so, you know, you see... Um, uh, Adrian was showing me a beautiful painting that his sister, daughter, painted. Beautiful painting. You, you should ask him to show you. That, that is uh, something that she did that exhibits her creative talent and her abilities, you know. And, uh, and it's, really, it's really beautiful, actually. So, man is affected internally by the external world. I listened to a a podcast this week in which uh, a man named Eric Metaxas was interviewing a man who runs a non-for-profit charity organisation that rescues children around the world from slave traders and sex predators. And they work with... um, governments, Uh, this man is particularly skilled in this and they have a um, small but very organised group of people and, and, uh, and stuff. But when you listen to some of the stories he tells, I mean, you know, it's pretty hard to listen to. You know, and they tell a story about a, a six-year-old child who's, who's been uh, routinely uh, molested by sex tourists in Honduras. Same is happening in Thailand, uh, in the Philippines. Australians are renowned for travelling to the Philippines for sex tourism. In fact, when I worked in Macau, the manager of the food and beverage department, a female uh, uh, from uh, from the Philippines, when she when I, she asked me where I was from, and I said Australia, and she goes, "Ah, oh, the land of the mail order bride and the child sex tourist." There's a reputation for us Aussies, isn't it? That was a slap. Man is affected internally. You you can't hear those things 
and not be affected, can you? It affects you internally by the external world. And from the internal world of thought, man is able to affect the external world. But we're not creating like God does out of nothing. You and I are shifting the atoms of the world, so to speak, that God has already put in place. Man digs up some iron ore, he smelts that, and he produces some iron. God can create from nothing. It is called divine decree because he is infinite. You and I cannot do that because we are finite. It's that simple. However, remember we've said man is created in the image of God, so because God is creative, what are we? We're creative. You and I can think things that will lead to an action. And even if that seems destructive, which it often is, it is still a creation that results from our internal thoughts. And this is important for us to understand. Whether we are speaking about postmodernism, Christian science, Eastern mysticism, false religions and false philosophies are not entirely lies. There's always some truth in it to draw a person in. There's always some truth within it. You can, uh, you know, in recent times there's, there's been the rise of, of a, almost a, a one-man religion called Jordan Peterson and um, uh, recently read a book about him called Jordanetics um, and it likens him to the religion founded by L. Ron Hubbard um, uh, under the, the guise of Dianetics, um, which became Scientology. And it shows that he has very similar philosophies and thinking and influences in the way he is structuring his uh, uh, philosophical argument to people and bringing them under his sway for a, you know, a different reason. But part of what he's saying is true. There's a lot of truth in what he's saying. And within that truth, there are very deceptive, subtle uh, manipulations that will keep people away from hearing the gospel. Because at the end of the day, uh, yeah, I won't get into all that, but so false religions and philosophies are not entirely true. That's why we call them counterfeits, right? They're not total lies, they're counterfeits. If you, you know, Melbourne, there was that uh, counterfeit $50 notes going around and, um, you know, the, the um, Australian government went to making some new 50s to make it a little harder for them to counterfeit them and, uh, and stuff. But they look like the real thing. No point getting a piece of white paper and writing $50 on it and trying to hand that over. It's not going to work. It has to look like the real thing. So false religions present some element of truth to try and look like something realistic. Okay? They are designed to appeal to man at an emotional, sensual, or intellectual level. Um, many of us here are old enough to remember the rise of the orange people in, in Australia, California, you know, and stuff. A very sensual movement. That's what it was focused on. 
was this idea of, of being able to live this, um, this free lifestyle. And so then they would go to these meetings and they would hear the teachings of the Bhagwan Rajneesh and they would get pumped up through a musical uh, procession that lasted sometimes over an hour and people would be jumping up and down and getting themselves hyped up into a hyperventilated state and then there would be all kinds of demonic manifestations taking place. Very, very similar, by the way, to the Toronto Blessing. That's why that was not a Christian movement, or that's the evidence of it not being a Christian movement, was the demonic manifestations. So, uh, true spirituality is first formed in the inner man, the realm of the thought, thought life. 2 Corinthians 10. Now, would you turn there in your Bibles? This is a passage I would encourage you to read through. We're coming to a close. Now, I, Paul, myself, am pleading in the Christian life, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some to think of us as we walked, as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now here is where the dominionists have taken these verses out of context and got into a whole lot of dominion theologies of calling down strongholds and all this kind of stuff. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And then he explains what those strongholds are. Pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul is saying here that, you know, we have thoughts and those thoughts sometimes are actually opposed to the will of God. And what we do is we, we need to not walk according to those thoughts because that would be fleshly. So we pull down those thoughts with the truth. We pull down those thoughts by bringing them into obedience to Christ. So if thinking, if the thoughts come first, then the external, if you want to continue in a sinful path, then foster sinful thinking. But if you want to walk a lifestyle that will honour and glorify God, then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be conformed to the image of Christ. So, and, and this is vital. You know that I've preached out of that passage a number of times. So, we shall wrap up with these thoughts. True spirituality, we have said in the past uh, that... It requires being dead to all things and being alive unto God. And that was 
when we were way back in Romans chapter 6, right back in the beginning, we have spoken about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the inner man and that the true fruit of the Christian life is not by our legalistic exertion in life. It is by you and I endeavouring to walk near with the Lord and close with him that he would produce his fruit in our lives. We have spoken about love, that love is inward. And for you and I to be able to love one another, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. This love that we have has come firstly from God into our lives and and that is what we must foster so that it, it flows out of our lives toward others. So, and, and how, how does this love show? Remember we spoke that it shows in two directions, doesn't it? To love God and to love our fellow man. Okay? And one way, uh, you know, in, in talking with Anton, I mentioned to you before about, um, you know, uh, that we're going to give a gift of finances from our church uh, to him. But I, I said he's very content with where he is in life, you know, and, and stuff. He's very settled in, in what God has for his life. That's because he's walking closely with the Lord. And he loves God. And when we, when we love God, we will be contented. So when discontent comes into our life, it's often at the very core of that is this struggle in our relationship with God. And when we feel envy towards others, there's a struggle in our relationship with God and our relationship with people that's taking place. So these are internal things. From the internal, they flow out to the external. So the external world affects people internally. So we can hear bad news, we can be affected emotionally. We can hear good news, we can be affected emotionally. You could hear something and be in a rage and wanting to strangle someone. And, I mean, let, let's be real. There's, there's more than a few dads here who may have experienced that kind of thing. That someone has hurt one of your children and you've wanted to take some justice in that. Because the external has affected us internally. Now the battle becomes, do we then let that flow out externally? I told you a story about my life and, and uh, once before and, and a non-Christian man who told me to drive away from that situation, you know, where, uh, you know, I was really battling with some things in my heart, you know, because of something that had happened. Really battling. And, uh, you know, I parked outside this guy's house and I wanted to sort some things out. And right then, my phone rang. And I just happened to tell him where I was. And he said, put your key in the ignition, start your car and drive away right now. And then I repented. But that was good advice from a non-Christian fellow. He offered to come and do it for me. (laughs) Afterwards. So... 
that should say true, not try. True spirituality is lived in this active passivity. And if you remember, we talked about Mary and the virgin birth and the Lord speaking to Mary. And, uh, and, and so then Mary uh, uh, said, she didn't enforce her will, but she said, you know, behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to your will. A beautiful response, isn't it? And then we also learn that man is finite. Believers can produce death. So we've, we've been through all of these issues and we come to this matter of thoughts first, then the actions. The internal, the external. Okay? But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, just like Romans 12 verse 2, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness. A phenomenal passage of scripture for us to take encouragement from. The truth is in Jesus. Put that on. Put that on for the renewing of your mind because then the internal will be transformed and the external is going to follow that. You know, If we try and produce the fruit by our own legalistic labours, we are going to fail so many times. Amen? So thoughts are first. Then what? The actions, the external. That's the order. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Freedom now from the results of the bonds of sin. Amen? So this is a growing sanctification in in your Christian life. You've been saved and you're going to be glorified and God is transforming you over time and all the saints of God said, hallelujah. You know, praise God that he is transforming me. So, hallelujah. Let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you so much for your patience. Uh, You guys are, if nothing else, persistent. Uh, You know, God is using me to develop the fruit of the Spirit in you. Long-suffering. So, (laughs) hallelujah. Our Father, we thank you for today. We praise you for the love you've shown us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the creation which speaks of you to us in a general sense. And we love you, Lord, for it. We we, uh, get to enjoy and relish in your creation the wonders of the air around us and and the trees and and the grass and the birds and the animals. We so thank you for this, Lord God. And help us to be reminded regularly of the beauty of your handiwork. But Lord, more than that, we thank you for your special revelation. Your word handed down to man through the prophets of old. Lord God, revealing and speaking forward of Jesus who would come and who did come, the Messiah of Israel, who yielded up his life at that brutal and wicked cross to fulfill all the law and the righteous demands of the law, that in him death would be conquered, sin would be defeated, its hold over our lives overcome, 
And Lord, that now we can be, through faith in you, transformed in the inner man to live victorious lives. So we praise you for this. And Lord, for each one that struggles and battles each day, I thank you for them, Lord. And I thank you that they do face that struggle and battle because it reveals that they are in you. So Lord, help them each day to turn their eye to you, look upon you, and to walk closely with you that they might seek you for their daily bread in that, in that day. We praise you. Thank you for the fellowship we've had here this morning also. We thank you for uh, the meal we're about to share and we ask you to bless that, bless that to our bodies and bless our fellowship around the table in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.